0: Anybody ready for the word of the Lord? I say, are you ready for the word of the Lord? Amen. Amen, amen. You guys welcome Victor as he comes forward. Come on, Victor. So I'm English this morning and you're Spanish, yeah, you're right? Yeah, you. All right. Hey, we're going to be uh, technically in Acts, the end of Acts chapter 4, but we're going to just read Acts chapter 5, the first 11 verses, okay? So I'm going I'm to go ahead and read the English. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get there, Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 1. When you're there, say, Amen. Amen. If you're not there, say, Hold up. All right, we got scholars in the room. That's what I like to see. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, oh, I have Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was so, was it not your, not at your disposal? Why is it that you have uh, contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And Ananias heard these words. He fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sowed the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Victor will now read in
1: Spanish. En Espanol, hecho cinco, la Biblia dice así. Pero cierto hombre llamado Ananías, con Zafira su mujer, vendió una heredad y sustrajo del precio, sabiendo también su mujer y trayendo solo una parte, la puso a los pies de los apóstoles. Y dijo, Pedro, Ananías, ¿por qué llenó Satanás tu corazón para que mintieses al Espíritu Santo Y sus trajeces del precio de la heredad, reteniéndola, no se te quedaba a ti. Y vendida, no estaba en tu poder. ¿Por qué pusiste esto en tu corazón? No has mentido a los hombres, sino a Dios. Al oír Ananías estas palabras, cayó y expiró. Y vino un gran temor sobre todos los que lo oyeron. Y levantándose los jóvenes, le envolvieron y sacándolo, lo sepultaron. Pasado un lapso como de tres horas, sucedió que entró su mujer no no sabiendo lo que había acontecido. Entonces Pedro le dijo, dime, ¿Vendiste en tanto la edad? Y ella dijo, sí, en tanto. Pedro le dijo, ¿por qué conviniste en tentar el Espíritu del Señor? He aquí a la puerta a los pies de los que han sepultado a tu marido y te sacarán a ti. Al instante cayó, ella cayó a los pies de él y expiró. Y cuando entraron los jóvenes, la hallaron muerta y la sacaron y la sepultaron junto a su marido. Y vino gran temor sobre toda la iglesia y sobre todos los que oyeron estas cosas. Amen.
0: Amen. So basically what you're saying. No, I'm just messing around. I give it up for uh, Victor. Come on. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can hear it in a way that we can understand it. But, Father, let us not just rejoice in understanding but Lord, let us rejoice when we live it out. So we need your spirit to now move in our hearts. So not only can we receive, but, Lord, that we can walk in such a way that it testifies that we have come to believe the word of God. So may it bear upon us right now. Use your preacher for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say it. Amen. During the Montgomery bus boycott of 1955, Martin Luther King, Jr., And the Montgomery Improvement Association led thousands of local blacks through the months of hardship in an attempt to break municipal bus segregation. Blacks rode bicycles, walked miles to and from work, formed carpools that local police regularly harassed. Police would stop and interrogate drivers, make them demonstrate their wipers and lights, and then write them up for tiny and often bogus violations. Drivers adapted. According to one historian, they crept along the road and gave exaggerated turn signals, like novice in driving school. Under these difficult conditions, many black citizens of Montgomery supported the boycott single-mindedly And with the spirit of mutual help and accountability, even those who had little to sacrifice, nonetheless, sacrificed what they had in order to bring down city walls of injustice, systemic injustice. But there's always the shady among them. There were some black folks who figured out a way to defraud the movement. By submitting phony reimbursement claims, they hustled the Montgomery Improvement Association for oceans of gasoline and truckloads of imaginary spare tires. The MIA says, one historian, was constantly trying to plug the holes in the reimbursement system. The hustlers were living on tears. Friends, in every community, you have givers and you have takers. You have those who want to invest into community, and you have those that just want to simply extract as much as they can out of a community. You have some people, when they look at community, they see people. And you have others that just see opportunity. Uh, There are those who care about community, and there are those who can care less about community. When it comes to your church community, I question you this morning is which are you? Before you answer that question, I want to challenge you today, as we consider the lives of one man and one couple, to determine who you are most like. Barnabas or Ananias and Sapphira. Allow the Scriptures to search you this morning, my friends. Right here at the beginning, we see the forming of the church community. First thing you need to understand about the context of our text today is the church community is forming. It was an exciting time in the church of Jerusalem. There was more joy in the city than kids opening toys on Christmas Day. This was huge. This was big. What is going on in our text today, there is much excitement in the church of Jesus Christ. The excitement of Pentecost experience was at an all-time high. Persecution was growing against this infant church. The gospel was spreading quicker than the Rona. Hold on to that. Acts 4.4 says it this way. 5,000 men joined the church. That's not including women and children. This is a growing society. So note that, that here in the opening chapters of Acts, there, there is this new and rapid growing community called the church. And what does Luke want you and I to know about this community? What does he want us to zoom in on about this particular growing, excited community? There are a few things he highlights, but for our teaching today, I want to point out one. What he chooses to highlight is their generosity towards each other, a.k.a. their care for each other. Uh, Notice that Luke uh, pauses if you will, he slows down, he zooms in his camera lens, he wants us to see something, and he doesn't want us to miss it. And friends, I'm intentionally slowing down myself because I don't want you to miss it. He wants you to see that this church community cares about each other. And he illustrates, he argues, if you will, that they care for each other because of their generosity towards each other. Uh, Friends, it's hard for us to say that we care for one another if we're stingy towards one another. Uh, Let me me put it to you the way that that Luke writes it. When when he describes their generosity, look at the verse, verse 32 of chapter 4, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Friends, community is not for us to take advantage, but that we may flourish and prosper. God has given us community. God has given us one another. Not so that we can can analyze and try to figure out and decode a way that we can defrost the community. No, that's not why God has given us community. God has given us community for mutual growing. So so, So the community is given so that we can take care of one another. Are you with me this morning? Look at the verse. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. Let me read that again. Oh, that's good right there. That's a miracle all by itself. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. That ought to sweep you off your feet right now. Uh, Many things that you have that you hold loosely. How many things is in your possession that you just open up to everybody? We like, don't touch my stuff. What, this is mine. But here in this verse, it was common property, and that's huge. This is a generous community. Luke wants us to see this. People own things, but treated the things as if they didn't own it, but everybody in the community did. In other words, what's mine is yours for real. No marriage here. Like, no, if you need it, I got it. No, for real. Like, bro, if you're lacking and I got it, without a question, I got you. Right? You don't have to struggle on your own. You don't have to limp alone on your own. No, if I got it, I need you to know that you got it. I mean, this is real love here, right? Yes. This is real yes. community here. Yes. And sometimes we don't, we, 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 can't, we, uh, we don't have the courage to ask why. Because sometimes we feel like, man, we got to make it on our own. And there's a sort of pride among us sometimes where, where, where we don't want to ask anybody for help. And I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me how many people you struggle with asking folks for help but it will be easier if it was kind of this ethos among us of generosity that everybody knew that if one person had it, you had it. Like, no, you don't have to beg me. You don't have to pay me back. No, bro, it ain't even like that. No, sis, it ain't even like that. But in this community, like, if you had a need, it wasn't when you going to pay me back. It's like, no, I'll take it. It's all good. These people got community, they understood community. These people are not individually driven, but community driven. This is huge given the cultural background here, because there was three different kinds of giving in the Greco-Roman society. During this time, there was a, what was a common practice called benefaction in association. Basically, one would give to another in the giver would receive honor from the recipient by boasting about his giving. Y'all, I, 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 uh, uh, if, if you ever go to the YMCA that I go to, it's very clear. This, this makes real, 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 really good sense. For an example, when I go to the YMCA, there in the hallways are the names of all those that gave big money. I mean, these are the big, heavy hitters, right? And they are being honored for their contribution to the community. That is what the Greco-Roman society would call benefaction and association. People would use benefaction for different reasons. Number one, they would use it for political gain. Was one motive behind giving. You know, some people, they give in order to get clout. Some people give in order to be seen. In fact, emperors in Jesus' time in the Bible day would often give in exchange for the loyalty of people. We would give in order that people may be loyal to us. That was the motive behind it. The second kind of giving was friends would simply give to other friends. This this was less politically motivational gain. In this case, the benefaction would be understood in terms, friends that share things in common. This allowed honor to be maintained from both parties. This is not sort of putting people in a trap so that they're subjugated to you because of your ability to give and their ability not to give. No, this was mutual friendship, friends looking out for one another. I remember one period in, I remember one period in my life, me and my best friend would send money back and forth to one another. A uh, week that he would get paid and the other week I would get paid and we would kind of look out for one another. This is sort of what friend-to-friend giving looks like in Jesus' day. Third, you have those who gave to associations and organizations that help steward their giving for the benefit of others. What we see in our passage today is a mixture of the latter two. We have friends giving to friends out of love. No dignity lost here. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. This is brother and sister looking out for each other. And one of the things I love about this campus is if somebody is hurting, everybody responds. And as a pastor, I want to say that I'm proud of that, that you can make a simple phone call. And if somebody's in need, we respond to that need. And I want to encourage you guys to continue to do such things. It is glorifying to God. We also have people giving to this new organization called the church here in our text today. What organization are they giving to? They're giving to the organization that belongs to the Lord, which is the church. Here it is right here in the verse. That there were no needy person among them, that'll preach by itself, for from, the time, for, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is similar to when you give on Sunday, that's if you give on Sunday, keep looking at me. Let, let me give you a little side note here. If your church is preaching the gospel and caring for a community, you should be given to that church. Let me say it again. If your church is preaching the gospel, and caring for people, you ought to be giving to that church. In fact, this is why they are given to the apostles. These dudes are faithful to the Lord's work. Luke breaks down his thought to show us. Watch how he sandwiches their faithful teaching between people giving. Luke doesn't even have to put this here. As you follow the flow of thought here, Luke kind of goes out of his way to show us what the apostles are doing, and he sandwiches it in between people's giving. Watch this. Verse 32 says, All things were common property... Verse 33 says, the apostles were were given testimony, and abundant grace was upon them all. Watch that. The apostles were given testimony, and abundant grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person. They would be distributed to each as they had need. They were not just given to some church who hustled people. This is no prosperity church here in Acts chapter 4. These are not pulpit pimps here in Acts chapter 4. These are not leaders trying to preach in such a way that they gain and everybody else continues to go down. This is not the kind of preachers that we are dealing with. I need you to understand that these apostles were faithful, they were about Jesus. And, friends, you ought to be in a church that is about Jesus and not just extracting cash from your pocket for their own gain. But if they're preaching the gospel, you ought to say, That's something I want to give to. If they're caring for people, you ought to say, That's something that I want to give to. You ought to be excited about something like that. And here it is. Luke goes out of his way to say that the apostles are preaching. And I also want to note here that it is the faithful preaching that is motivating the giving. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You want to see a giving church, we need to be empowered by the Spirit. in fact, the church is not empowered by your money. It's empowered by the Spirit. And your giving is just a byproduct of the work of the Spirit in your life. These apostles are not building bigger television stations for themselves. No, that's not what they're doing. They're not buying bigger jets. They're not buying bigger buildings. No, 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 no. They were meeting people's needs. Friends, that's a mark of a church that the Spirit of Christ is in. The church is caring for people. In fact, it says this, and I don't know if it hits you the way that it hit me, but it said, there was no needy person among them. That is absolutely amazing. That is absolutely amazing. No one needed. No one needed anything. This is what happens when the people of God are generous. God makes sure that everyone has what they need. Can we pause and imagine that here in 2020? No needy person. It's easy to amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Yes, that's exciting. But sometimes we got to bring the Bible into our own living room. Can you imagine that? Can you just go there with me for a second? Can you go there with me for a minute? Wouldn't that be cool if no one in our church had a need? This week I boasted about our after school program and all the good that is going on. No greater joy than to see needs being met. We gave over 10,000 meals to children, served over 465 kids, provided jobs for 24 people, and 11 of those people were youth. How do you not want to be a part of that? How do you sit back and say, I want nothing to do with that? Let me tell you what's on my Christmas list. No, 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 there ought to be something in the inside of you to say, I want to be part of the change. I want to be part of the difference. A a faithful church is worthy of your giving. And if they are not worthy of your giving, they are not worthy of your membership. Let me say that again. A faithful church is worthy of your giving. And if they are not worthy of your giving, they are not worthy of your membership. I mean, these people are giving like crazy, crazy, and Christmas has not even come. This is not Christmas time. Okay? And these people are giving like crazy. And why are they giving like crazy? Because salvation makes us generous people. Salvation makes us generous people. I need you to lean in on this. I need you to unplug your ears on this one. What is happening? I need to go slow here. What has happened? Salvation, friends, has happened to these people, this new community. Now, I need to zoom in closer so you and I can see the effects of salvation. Note this down. Salvation takes us from this, from seeing uh, individual, individual as greater than community or communal. It takes us from being individual to communal. How did this community of believers get from there to there? Well, look how the text defines this community. Now, the company of those who believed. Believed in who? Believed in what? They believed in Jesus. And if you know your Bibles well enough, you know that belief in Jesus means salvation means rescue from darkness, yeah. means deliverance from the devil, means that you go from darkness to light, yeah. or means that you go from a scumbag to a generous person. Because belief in Jesus equals change. Belief in Jesus means a difference. Belief in Jesus means something happens to your soul. You cannot believe in the Savior and be the same. Something happens. And so Luke is clear that the number of them that believe, this is a believing community, and they're believing in the Savior and something happens to them. They're not just theologically getting this. All right? They don't just quote scriptures. They don't just know their Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, good for you. They're just going to seminary school. No, something is happening. A relationship is happening. They're getting to know God. They're needing to know the God of Yahweh. They're getting to know him. And I want you to watch what happens when we get to know Jesus, not just through thought, not just through theological concept, not through abstract concept, but when you know him, when he abides in you, when you walk with him, when you talk with him, when you know him, he's your. Ever- Everything something happens in your soul, friends. Can I preach this the way that I feel it this morning? Something happens. Generosity. Generosity starts somewhere. Generosity, Facebook world, starts with Jesus. These people are loving each other. Because God is in them. I don't want you to miss that. Because we can skip over God and just zoom in on this really cool thing that they're doing. That these people are giving. But we cannot miss that they're giving because God is in them. I mean, watch this. Now, the comedy of those who believe were of one heart and so, you see, being in Christ binds you to people in the body of Christ. Okay? I need you to see this. All right? Being in Jesus, dwelling in Jesus, knowing Jesus binds you to the people in the body of Christ. Remember, I said this is a new community. <laughs> and they're all cool and loving each other and all that. This is what happens when we're in Christ. One preacher puts it this way. When you become united, I love this. When you become united to Jesus by faith, you become united to people by love. Oh, that's good right there. Mm, That's good right there. Let me say it again. Oh, that felt good. I'm going to play it back for you. It's so good. Here it is. Let me say it. I'm going to give you a chance to shout. Here it is. When you become united to Jesus by faith, you become united to people by love. That's good right there. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord, somebody. Hallelujah. I mean, it's sort of as if, how can I say this? It's sort of as if you wake up. I mean, when you have faith in Jesus, I mean, you finally get it. This is the beauty of being in Christ. You, you, you are now in the light. You're no longer in the darkness. You're not walking in ignorance anymore. You finally get this thing called life to some reasonable degree. And the reason I say reasonable degree, because some of us, we still learning, although we in Jesus. Amen. Somebody, that's some stuff that I still don't get right. That's some things that I still don't see. But thank God that sanctification is a process, right? But I finally got at least a little bit. I got a little bit of understanding. There are actually other, you, you, you finally wake up and you say, I see you ain't gonna believe this. Got saved, and uh, I didn't even know it was other people in the world. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, even, I didn't even know other people with the church. I didn't even see the people next to me. All of a sudden, you notice that there's actually other people besides you. You see, Jesus was trying to get his disciples to see this the entire time he was with them, he wanted them to be free from the love of things. And the reason sometimes we cannot see people is because all we see is things. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verses 32 through 33, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, There is no thief approaches and no moth destroys. In other words, Jesus is like, trust God and be generous. Can we just put it that simple, that plain. Trust God, be generous. The less you trust God, the less generous you are. If you do not trust God, you're not going to be generous. Why? Because you're trusting money. And if I trust money, I'm not going to give money away because I need money because something might happen. And if something happens, then, whoa, then what am I going to do? Because money is the thing that provides for me. Money is my Jehovah Jireh. But when God is your Jehovah Jireh, your hands become a little bit freer and a little bit looser, and things become a little bit looser when God is your provider. And I'm not saying be foolish and unwise, right? We need to have some wisdom in our giving and our saving and things like that. But there ought to be a reasonable amount of giving in our lives. Use your life to help other people. And Luke does something amazing here In chapter 4 and 5, he does something for us. Because I think that Luke knows that if he just gives you propositions, if he just gives you theoretical teaching, then you'll walk out of here and you'll say, Pastor, that's good and that's nice. But Luke wants to move us out of the abstract, and he wants to give us something tangible. Luke's smart. He's wise. Of course, he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit. He knows that you and I need a real-life illustration and he's brilliant when he does it. He brings in Barnabas. He brings in Ananias and Sapphira. He says, come here. I need you three to preach to God's people this morning. He brings in Barnabas. Love Barnabas. Barnabas is our example of a person caring for community. In fact, we need to meet him this morning. He's right there in the verse, chapter 4, It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, friends, this is the first mention of a man who would become a familiar figure in the story of the early church. What we learn about him first is an act of service he did. What was that? He had a large piece of land, and what did he do? He sold it and gave all the money he earned to the church. Sold a piece of land, right? Usually when you sell a piece of land, you're trying to do what? You're trying to make a profit for yourself, right? No, 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 not Barnabas. He sells the land. Not only does he give to the church, watch it, but he gives it all to the church. What do we call this? class in Greco-Roman language? Just gave it to you. Benefaction in association. Why did Luke mention his name and not the others? Those who donated big were given honor. It's not that Barnabas was looking for it. I need to make that clear. He didn't give the land because he was looking for it. It was just seen as respect in his culture. He lived in an honor and shame culture. You honored those who were worthy of honor. And the Bible is not against people being honored. But I want you to see past his gift. I want you to see past the land. Because anybody can give a gift, not everyone can give their life to people. All right? I need you to see this. This is more than giving the land. This man is ready to give his life for the church. And that's not a man thing. That's a God thing. That's a salvation thing when you give your life to people. That's salvation. Barnabas cared about community. And when you care about community, as we can see already, we are generous towards community. We start giving stuff up, money, time, convenience. And this was more than an act from a man. This is an act of God working through him. This is who he is. He is generous. In fact, generous is a fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that? Generous is a fruit of the Spirit. In fact, the Bible says we need to excel in generosity. He was so about community and generosity, they gave him a nickname. Oh, that's bad right there. I mean, the man was so given. the church gave him a nickname. How many people got a nickname in the room? How do we come up with nicknames? Lil Ray Ray, Pookie, Stinkface. I don't know how to come up with that. But man, here's the killer part for Barnabas. Barnabas gets a nickname because of his character. I do know how, how Joseph got his nickname. He had a Hebrew name. It was made up of two, uh, 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 two parts. Bar, his Hebrew word for son. And Nebu is the word for prophecy. We know him as Barnabas. He was called son of prophecy, or as Luke explains, son of encouragement. Why was he called this? Not just because he gave a piece of land, but if you check his track record, if you watch his life, if you watch what he did, if you watch the movement of this man's life, if you watch the fruit of his life, he is worthy of his nickname. He encouraged the new church in Antioch. If you go read the book of Acts, this man right here, when Christians were first called Christians in the book of Acts, he was there. He encouraged Paul as a brand new believer. Who you think took Paul, who wrote 27 books of the New Testament, who discipled Paul, who loved Paul, who encouraged Paul? Barnabas did. He encouraged his cousin, John Mark, after his failure in the first missionary journey. He was there loving on him and encouraging him and reminding him that God still had a call on his life. Every time you see Barnabas, he's encouraging someone. He re- he's reminding the, though, those who are pressed. He's reminding those who are disappointed. He's reminding those who are struggling with anxiety. He's reminding those who are struggling with the persecution of the church. Barnabas, 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 always encouraging, always giving, always loving, always looking out for someone, not thinking about himself, but thinking about others, making short, going to sleep at night, wondering if his brother and sister is okay? How many people go to sleep at night Ooh, thinking about whether your brother or sister is doing spiritually okay? When the last time you did that one? When you lay down in your bed, when was the last time you thought, it's my brother and sister, do they have a bed to lay in? I'll tell you, this week went to the train station. Sent a whole lot of people with all, they didn't have houses and didn't know how they were going to eat, but they were thrilled that some people showed up and thought about them. When the last time you said, God, make me an answer to prayer for someone. Oh, this is Barnabas. He's getting in the gutter with people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not just thinking about his 401k. No, that's not just what Barnabas is thinking about. He's not just thinking about his 401k. He's thinking whether people are okay. Yeah. And that ought to be us. This is Barnabas. And because he was so rich in his generosity, because he was so rich in loving other people, because he was so consistent, this was not just so he can get clout. No, because this is who he was, the apostle said, We got to give him a nickname. We'll give him a nickname. Because we need to capture for the church the kind of man that you are. His character was worthy of honor. But on the other hand, there's another couple in the community that Barnabas is in. Yes, they're in the same community. Oh, yes. And they are the opposite of Barnabas. I'm sure word got back to them that Barnabas got a nickname and And they like, we got to get us a nickname as well. And so we meet Ananias and Sapphira. And a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself. With his wife full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. So here we have a couple that does the exact opposite of Barnabas. They give, but they lie about their giving. They give. But they lie about their giving. Keith, this is something else right here. They sell their land, but they pretend like they are giving the apostles all the money they made from their land. Well, why are they lying? I think they're trying to make a name for themselves. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it? This 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 gives me chills right here. Uh, and Peter said, Ananias. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? I wish I had time to preach that little part right there about Satan and his role in all of this. Uh, Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have for yourself some of the money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Let me pause right there. Peter says it belonged to you. You have the freedom to give to God what you've decided in your heart to give to God. I'm glad that God doesn't force us to give. What made you think doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Now, we have two people who use community instead of loving community. I mean, I mean, I, I need you to get this. We got Barnabas, who's caring and loving for community. Then we got two people who are now trying to use and take advantage of community, like those in the Montgomery boy, uh, uh, bus, uh, 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 boycott. You always got people who want to take advantage of community and want to figure out how they can get over. And God deals with these two. I got three questions for this section of Scripture. Why did they lie? Why did God kill them? And why did Luke include this story? Let's deal with it one at a time. Why did they lie? Well, first imagine with me how the lie came down. I just got to get in the book, y'all. I just got to get there, and I want to bring y'all with me. Y'all with me this morning? Here it is. I want to know why in the world did they lie. And the only thing we're going to figure it out, we just got to imagine for a minute, right? Bible doesn't tell us, so we just kind of just imagine a little bit. Maybe Ananias is hanging out at his boy's crib watching the Nate Robinson, I mean the Tyson and Roy fight. Sorry, Will. (laughs) And his boys say, man, did you hear what Barnabas did? He said, no, man. What'd he do? Put me up on game. What happened? Man, he gave a large amount of bread to the church. I mean, it's all over the news. Bro, he was dropping bands at the apostles' feet. The apostle honored him last Sunday at church. They even gave him a nickname, bro. He goes home. He tells his wife the news. And says, You know, we got that land over there on 5th by the Genesis Center. Plus, I got to put on for the fight from last night. You know, Nate Robinson got knocked out, baby, by the way. <laughs> so they list the property with their real estate agent. The agent calls, like, Man, that bad fella sold in two days. And I is like, Bet, the client is wealthy and eager to buy, and she offers them a lot more money than they were counting on. What a blessing. Thank God. Praise God. You can imagine them. They celebrating in their home, in their kitchen, next to their kitchen island. They're celebrating. Babe, you ain't going to believe we made more money than we thought that we would make off of this land. Wow, look at all this money. Look at all this bread. Look at all these bands we got. What will we do with it? Then they say, you know, we should put some of this up for a rainy day. Sapphire said, babe, you're about right. You never know when a cold day is going to come. We could get away for the weekend at the Godfrey in the downtown Jericho area. Maybe get a time and share a condo in Caesarea. And that convo led to, and we can give a portion to the church as well. But then it comes in. It dawns on them. In order to do all of this, it will pose a problem. If we give only a portion... We will not receive a nickname. We give only a portion, we will not receive the honor that Barnabas did. We will never get a nickname in that way. We will never be able to make a name for ourselves. That's not how benefaction of association works. He was honored because he gave all of his profits And remember the way Benefaction and Association work is when you do something super sacrificial for those in need, you get honor. And both say, we'll just act like we gave it all. In that way, we give what we want and we can get what we want. Oh, they thought they figured it out. They say, we got it. We can give what we want and that way we can still get what we want. Let's use the community for our own gain. So why did they lie? Because, friends, they love money and the praise of man more than they love God and people. And friends, those those two things can't live in the same household. No, let me rewind it. Those two things cannot live in the same heart. And that's the problem, friends. I'm here to tell you, when you love yourself more than you love community, you are the one that misses out. Man, this past Friday, we, we had a ball handing out sandwiches to hungry people. We, we, we had food, food left over. Our, our big intention, Jeff was out there, was to feel the stomachs of those who were empty. And we were the ones that left full, full of what? Decks full of joy, full of, full, full of seeing God's glory on display. When we try to get over on community, we're only getting over on ourselves. And friends, it is impossible to love money in the praise of man and try to love people and God at the same time. And Ananias and Sapphira thought that they can do it, and they could not. And so it brings us to our next question. Why did God kill them? Some people believe God killed these two for just lying. But I think God killed them for more than that. The reason they dropped dead is not because this happens to all hypocrites praise the lord somebody I thought I would have got an amen because well this would be a Morgan here if this happened to everybody for, for real though you got to read the text and you see that these two drop dead and you immediately start saying okay God what's some stuff I didn't I ain't got right. I know there's some stuff I did this way. Oh yeah, Lord, I forgive me of that. Uh, oh yes, I forgive me of that too. And we don't say it out loud because we don't want nobody to know the things that we actually did. So we say, "God, forgive me of that." We just use that. We don't say we don't spell it out. And so and so, you begin to think when you read this text. This text makes you start searching yourself. Yes. But thank God that He doesn't kill all hypocrites, because you, I wouldn't be up here preaching tombstone next to Ananias in survival. (laughs) We know that God doesn't kill all hypocrites because look at uh, Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8 verses 20 through 24. God didn't kill him, although he was trying to get the gift of the Holy Spirit by paying for it. I love the way one preacher says it. The reason they dropped dead is to give a stunning warning to the whole church that phony Christians will all end up this way sooner or later. Oh, yeah, friend, that's what God is telling us. Hypocrites, phony Christians, those who pose as if they are saved, those who act like they're part of the family of God, someday a reckoning is coming that you will end up eternally dead. You see, you may be able to trick everyone else, You may be able to trick your pastor. You may be able to trick the deacon board. You may be able to trick the elders. You may be able to trick your wife. You may be able to trick your kids. But you cannot and you will not trick God. No one can trick God. Some of us got this Christian thing down and we think we got everybody fooled. Don't forget that there is a God. I feel like I need to slow down. Because sometimes we can get so caught up in just moving through this Christian thing that we actually forget that God does exist. I mean, like there's an actual God seated on the throne. Like there's an actual God that runs the universe. Like there's an actual God that is going to judge the living and the dead. Like one day the coronavirus is going to be over and Jesus is going to come and he's going to rule and he's going to reign. Like someday that's going to actually happen. And when you see that it's actually being real, when you actually believe that, that kind of governs some of the decisions that you make. That God actually exists. The Bible puts it like this, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. God means for his people to fear hypocrisy. He means for us to be afraid of treating the Holy Spirit with contempt. Notice at the end of verse 5, after Ananias had died, what happened to the community? And great fear came upon all who heard of it. Then again in verse 11 Sapphira dies his wife and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things friends church community is not here for you to take advantage of it You want to be first become last You want to be great be a servant You want a nickname act as if you ain't got no name. You want to be remembered? Remember others. (laughs) You want your day before the Lord to to, to be one that when uh, when you arrive, that he says, job well done, good and faithful servant, wash the feet of your neighbor. And if Jesus, the God-man, Wrapped in flesh, can give up his position, you can give up yours. This is what Jesus taught, and this is why Luke includes this story. This answers our last question. Why did Luke include this story? He's trying to contrast Barnabas and this couple and encourage us to be like one and not the other. So let's look at the contrast Barnabas versus Ananias and Sapphira. Barnabas owned a piece of property. Ananias and Sapphira owned a piece of property. Barnabas sold it and gave all the proceeds to the church. Ananias and Sapphira sold it and pretended to give all the proceeds to the church. Barnabas' acts showed a desire to serve the Lord in his church. Ananias and Sapphira, their acts showed their desire for people to think highly of them. Barnabas, his sacrifice brought glory and honor to the Lord. Ananias and Sapphira... Their hypocrisy was designed to bring honor to themselves. Barnabas, he is what's an act of worship. Ananias and Sapphira, theirs was a lie to the Holy Spirit. Barnabas, he became a leader in the church in a companion of the Apostle Paul. Ananias and Sapphira, they dead. What's our lesson here today? Don't try to make a name for yourself. Let me say it again. Don't try and make a name for yourself. You know the bottom line, the difference between these these three? Barnabas didn't use the community to make a name for himself. And in turn, the community made a name for him. This couple tried to make a name for themselves and it resulted in them being annihilated from community. See community is not about us making a name for ourselves but recognizing the names around us. Recognizing the person next to you has a name, a life, a situation. You cannot only name you cannot just name people, but can you name their problems? Can you name their situation? Can you name what they're going through? Can you pinpoint their struggles? Those who are looking to be generous begin to educate themselves on their neighbors. And they look for an opportunity to serve. Why? Because God is in them. But those who are full of hypocrisy, they do the same thing. They look for their neighbor's situations. They look for a problem, but it is not for the glory of God. They look so that they can take that situation and make a name for themselves, friends with every fiber in my being do not try to make a name for yourself. There's already a great name among us, and you cannot outdo his name. He is the King of glory. He is the Lord of giving. He is the Lord of justice. He is the Lord of goodness, and you will not and you cannot outdo the name of Jesus, but you can submit to that name, live for that name, preach for that name, give in that name, and when you do that, he'll give you a name that nobody can take away from you. If you would just humbly yourself and trust him to make a name for you. And Ananias and Sapphira, they miss it. They miss it. They miss the whole thing, friends, and they lose out on an opportunity to serve the Lord. And friends, I don't want that for you. I don't want you to end up like Ananias and Sapphira, that you're so caught up in you. You're so caught up in your glory that you miss what God is doing among us. This is a crazy season, but God is still on the move, and you have an opportunity to step up. The worship team is coming back at this time. You have an opportunity to do something great in this season. You got an opportunity to bless someone in this season. You got an opportunity to be used by God in this season. God wants to use you. The coronavirus doesn't stop the work of God. And friends, if you can get over yourself and beyond yourself, God will use you in magnificent and wonderful ways. Or do you want to remain dead like Ananias and Sapphira? No life in the inside. No joy in the inside. No Christ on the inside. When will you get sick and tired of pretending to be a Christian when God is offering salvation for you to come alive today and actually know Jesus and walk with Jesus and be all that he has called you to be? This is what he does. Why did Luke write the story? Encourage us to be like Barnabas and not like Ananias and Sapphira. Now, let me relate to you before I close. Being generous is not easy, it's not. Facebook World, I hope you're listening. Being generous is not easy because it's a fight with the flesh. It's a fight against your own selfishness. It's a fight to come to the realization that you're not the main point of the universe. It's a fight to come to the realization why God created you. It's a fight to believe that It is actually more blessed to give than to receive. It's a fight to trust God over money. It's a fight to trust God over things. It's a fight to realize that the real joy is not in creation, it's in the creator. That's a fight, friend. But it's a fight that Jesus has already won. And there is nothing you cannot overcome that Jesus has already overcome. That's the promise of the gospel, that it is finished, which means that you can be generous. You can be loving. You can actually think of other people over yourself because Jesus won it for you. It's done. It's over with. So this season, will you be generous? Maybe a better question, this life that God has given you, will you use it to be generous? Will you stop sitting on your couch and soaking up all your time with Netflix and Hulu and go help somebody? People that need help. Or would you spend your entire life on you and miss it? End up dead like Ananias and Sapphira before the king with nothing to show for it. And he talks to some other people in the room. Because some of you mirror Ananias and Sapphira in a very real way. On the outside, mirror Barnabas. They gave something. What you're giving is not about God, it's about you. And my friends, that's something that we all need to pray about. Say, God, is my giving really about you or is it really about me?